Well, Sam's going to come up and read to us from Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, and you'll find that on page 1171 of the Blue Bibles, and you can follow along on the screen behind us as well. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, thanks, Sam, and good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and let me add my welcome to Joe's before. It'll be great to meet you afterwards. Our regulars here will know that we are coming to the end of our No Other Gospel series in Galatians. And over the first five weeks, we've reflected on the importance of holding true to the good news of Jesus, the gospel, as prevented by Paul, being prepared to be uh, contentious over defending it, uh, that this gospel uh, is all about Jesus giving himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, as Paul opens up, and that God the Father raised Christ from the dead. We saw that this gospel was not of human origin, but from God. Paul's gospel was confirmed by all the apostles at True, when Paul met with them some 15, 16 years later after he'd been planning churches uh, all throughout the Roman world. And they indeed confirmed his call to proclaim this gospel to the Gentiles, all the non-Jews. And this was important to the Galatians, who had started well by putting their faith in Christ when they heard the gospel. But after that, they had suffered under false teachers who had tried to persuade them that after starting in Christ, which is good, they needed to go on to perfection by keeping the laws of Moses, including circumcision, food laws, special days and festivals. They were kind of commonly referred to as the circumcision party, uh, two words that probably should never really be put together. <laughs> 
The Apostle Paul has explained that actually we don't, uh, we're not made right by keeping God's law, we all fall short of it and in short are all under its curse. But Jesus saves those who trust in Him by becoming a curse for us and indeed dying under God's curse on the cross, a great act of grace so that all who trust in Him can be children of God today. But we've also seen that this gospel is not just to save us, but it's to transform us. Free now from the curse of sin, we are free and set on a whole new course of life. Such are our lives now, so bound up, so intertwined with Jesus. We too can say with Paul these great words from uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer lived, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've seen that this fuel source for the Christian life, what enables us to live for God now, uh, is this great gospel of Jesus proclaimed true plus Jesus' indwelling spirit at work in us. And as we finished last week, we heard that call to be led by the spirit to live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit as we together seek the fruit of the Spirit. And if we'd left it there, it would have been a rousing finish. Yet, under the direction of that very same Spirit, Paul didn't leave it there and we have a whole other chapter to show us some of what it means to live practically day by day to live as Spirit-filled Christians. I'm not thinking this is all the Bible has to say about the Spirit-filled life, but it does contain the essentials of the Spirit-filled life, which aren't often the first things people think of when you say, what is the Spirit-filled life? So as always, it'd be great to have your Bibles open to Galatians 6 on page 1171, as Sam just read to us, and there's an outline in the leaflet for the note-takers. Um, and uh, you'll see there that there's some blanks in the outline because I don't like to give the outline away uh, too early and you can fill them in if you're a note taker there you'll see there there's four things we're going to look at today that Galatians claims that everyone who calls himself a spirit-filled believer a Christian trusting in Jesus needs to be clear on Of all the things I read and listened to this week, a very big thank you uh, to William Taylor who helped me see how all this fits together. It's very common to find people who can blow the Bible passage apart and explain all the parts in great detail, much less common people who can put it back together again uh, in something uh, beautiful afterwards. So let's get to it. Four things for every Spirit-filled believer. So those in step with the Spirit, point one, have a right attitude to themselves and therefore others. It's really two points, but they're so intertwined, I think you have to deal with them together. So if you're taking notes themselves as the first missing word, others as the second, making those in step with the Spirit have a right attitude to themselves and therefore others. I find this interesting that after this great and rousing call to keep in step with the Spirit and live a Spirit-filled life, the first thing that comes to Paul's mind is verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, being conceited means to have, uh, to be especially proud of oneself. And I think it's right on point for the Galatians here in their context who had fallen for a false gospel that said, start with Jesus, then you must be compelled to pursue perfection by the law of Moses. 
whether you think you get in God's good books by obedience or simply that you stay in God's good books by obedience, it is bound to lead up to a life of performance where you look sideways at one another to see how you're going. We almost can't resist. And comparison with other Christians usually leads to two things mentioned here, provoking and envying others. So if you are a little conceited, think you're doing really well in the Christian life, a little smug perhaps, because you think you're doing so well in the Christian life and others might not be uh, going quite along as, uh, as you, you will of course look down on other Christians and that superiority you feel will usually come out in some way in word or deed, provoking other Christians and being none too kind to them. I don't know if you uh, have that experience too, that there are some Christians that you avoid at those random engagement parties and things like that because they always might make you feel like there's a whole part of the Christian life you don't know about or they run down your church. It's very provoking. And envy is no better. Having a, uh, a too lowly opinion of yourselves that results in yearning for the gifts, the ministries, the relationships that others have amongst God's people. A true understanding of the gospel actually corrects both. We have a right attitude to ourselves and therefore others. Because it's the true gospel that teaches us that we're not saved by appearance and how well we get along in the Christian life. We're saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone, because Jesus took God's curse that we've incurred under his law for us. We are not only undeserving, but we're ill-deserving of such love, yet the gospel deals openly with our sin, so that we can know that we're dearly loved, where we can say, like Paul, that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. I live for him now. That correct view of the gospel should continually strip us of all conceit. And for those who suffer on the other end of the spectrum, as we look at others who we might consider super gifted or perhaps well honoured in our community, we can actually give thanks to God for them because we know it's God's work alone that has given them those gifts. It is God who prepares good works for us to do. It is by God's power and God's spirit that we can do anything worthwhile in God's economy. And we're actually called to honour all parts of the Christian church, whether they're the sort of the more easily honoured roles or the less. We can praise God for building a community together brick by brick, brick through the gifting of others, enabling the body to function and grow in maturity in Christ together. I think that it's this view of right understanding of ourselves and others that explains why verses 3 and 5 are there. It's a call for us, it's saying to us, our job is not to look sideways, but to examine yourself against God's standard, to look to Him, to realise He's holy, we are not, we're saved by grace, so we all shouldn't look sideways at one another. A right understanding of ourselves and the gospel corrects our view of ourselves and others, which frees us up to love people, to give thanks to God for them and to help them grow. I think this is given particular expression in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, where we read, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. It's actually assuming that we will all get caught up in sin at some point. I think that's the sense of it. It's not this idea of some scandal of getting caught out in sin. I think it's the more daily getting caught up in sin that there's a battle going on that's been outlined for us in Galatians 5 between flesh and spirit where we're told we're not free to do whatever we want and we're not always going to do what we should do. Sin does have a way of ensnaring us, often subtly at first. It's a great test of whether we've understood the gospel when we see someone else's sin, whether we respond in grace and love to them or whether we feel a little bit superior at that point. Can you kind of see how it fits together? And I don't think there's any sense here that the spiritual are some kind of super godly breed of Christian or, uh, lo and behold, a paid staff member at church. I think it simply means that those who are trusting in the one true gospel by the power of the Spirit, with a right assessment of themselves and others as sinners saved by grace, holding on to God's word, which is spirit and truth, as Jesus said, I think it's a job for us all Couch very much with another clear command for us all as well. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I think helping people repent of sin is very much in view here, but I think there's also a broader idea of carrying each other's burdens that is uh, kind of given in the word sort of originally used here, just talking about something that just presses down and weighs on us. So I think it's not only our temptations but also our worries, our doubts and our sorrows. And I think, again, you've probably realised by this point, it's a fairly polemical letter. I think Paul is lining up these Galatian false teachers once again, sort of, who are telling the people that you have to fulfil God's law, Old Testament law, to be saved. Paul's shooting back here and sort of saying, no, if you understand the true gospel with a right assessment of ourselves and others, we'll graciously and gently restore those caught up in sin." and bear one another's burdens with great love. And Paul's been building to this point here. He said uh, in the last chapter, verses 13 and 14, that we are to serve one another in love, and indeed the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. And earlier on he said really that this Old Testament, you know, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't really count for anything. The only thing that counts is faith in Christ expressed in love. So I think Paul's been building up to take a shot again at these Galatian false teachers who are insisting on this is how you fulfil the law. And he actually says, you fulfil the law of Christ as you restore a person caught from sin, caught in sin, and carry their burdens together. It's a fairly sort of simple equation that this is something for, all, for us all, it's not an optional extra, or something even to be outsourced to the pastoral, care care, pastoral care team or me. We're all called to do it. There's a call on everyone who claims to be living by the Spirit. And as a church, I think uh, we're making good progress on this. But we're coming out of a generation where kind of pastor, poorly defined, uh, does most of the pastoral care. And I think it's come as a result of People who've said, oh, well, I'm too busy to invest in the life of other Christians, so when life hits the fan, they want the pastor in their house. 
I give to church, this is a service I demand, and if it's not done well, I'll declare him not a very good pastor and go elsewhere. Now, I think this is a really important point because I reckon it's one of the major kind of flaws in our theology that actually leads to Australian churches generally being very small and inward-looking. Because if you're relying on a pastor to do all the pastoral care, there's only a very small number of people that they can deal with. And the average Australian church is about 75. And most people, no matter their capacity, so they can sort of hold about 150 relationships uh, in their head at at the upper end of capacity. The average Australian pastor spends then about 15 hours a week on pastoral care, this is good Australian research, on top of 20 hours of admin. So already at 35 hours by the time you've answered all your emails and done all the child safety paperwork and uh, done pastoral care. So it's good for you to know that I spend on average about three hours a week on pastoral care, not much more on average than uh, many of you who have that natural empathy with others. It's not that I don't like doing it, I just think it's sound theology, it's a one another task incumbent upon us all because we're told here, you couldn't really put more force on it than Paul does, I'm saying as we bear one another's burdens, as we help each other repent of sin, we fulfil the law of Christ together. And yes, there is some theological pragmatism going on because I intentionally choose to feel the weight of the thousands around us who don't know Jesus and try to help us to do a better job at reaching them as we are, as is right for an outward-looking, gospel-driven church. Very easy to feel the weight of people here that we do know and love and I feel it intensely, often not being able to get to people. Uh, but I choose actually to feel the weight of the people who don't know Christ around us more so than that. So it's worth saying Cam is looking to rebuild our pastoral care team. Lots of people have uh, either gone church planting to Unley or had babies or had different things like that. But he's looking to recruit for people not to do all the pastoral care, but to be equipped to help equip others, all of us, to love every person in our community. He's very keen on getting someone from each of our community groups to be trained, so at least our community groups have uh, some equipping going on in pastoral care, and also to, for groups to sort of think, well, who are the people for one reason or another that community groups don't work? But there is something implied in how we've structured church to saying, if you're not investing in the lives of others, and others aren't investing in your life, you will be missing out. And I'm not going to spend my time kind of making up the slack, I guess is what I'm saying, because I think it's right theology, rightly applied for an outwardly looking gospel-driven church. We all want to be equipped to help us carry each other's burdens better. And so if you'd love to be a part of that solution, have a chat to camp soon. But for now, let's move on much more quickly to points two to four. Those in step with the Spirit have a right attitude towards gospel ministry. So gospel ministry is the two words missing in that sentence there. Every spirit-filled believer should support word of God-based gospel ministry because of course it is the true gospel that sees people saved. But I think more particularly in context here, it's the true gospel that gives us a right assessment of ourselves and others 
and creates communities that come together that lovingly and graciously deal with sin, are repented of, and we carry each other's burdens together, a key part of the Spirit-filled life. And did you notice right back in verse 4 in chapter 1, we were told that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. I've kept saying that from this present evil age and hoping no one fired in a question until we got to this week. Because of course salvation is in view here, Jesus taking the curse of the law for us. But I also think what is being said here is that as the gospel is being preached, people are saved, communities are formed, where people bear each other's burdens and help each other's repent of sin. And as that happens in our lives, we as a community are bit by bit being saved from the worst ravages of sin in our lives. Not to earn our salvation, not to stain the kingdom by works, but simply because it's God's will for our lives, it's a great blessing by God to actually help each other say no to sin and pursue righteousness. God's law is good and has our best interests at heart. And it's the true apostolic, not-of-this-world gospel proclaimed by a solid ministry of the Word that actually does all this. So, Spirit-filled Christians support gospel work. And it's a great privilege to kind of come to this passage and be able to preach this to a church family where the vast majority of people take this seriously together. I don't know who uh, gives what and I purposely don't want to know but I do know the overall numbers and I want to say to the vast majority of you great job on supporting gospel ministry in this church and thinking beyond ourselves to the next generation training up ministry apprentices uh, like Mark and Matt who are off um, at Bible college or already out working full-time in churches Praise God that together we sent out a church plant and are starting to prepare our thoughts for the next one. Great work in supporting people like Joe, Katie and Kelly amongst us and also for supporting a long and excellent team, past and present, of people gifted in administration so I don't have to do the Australian average 20 hours a week. So I'm averaging that down. Imagine what some people are doing uh, on the other end. It's also really encouraging to know that this community here is one of the biggest group of supporters for Bible College SA. It's really important for us to think about raising up the next generation of gospel workers, not only for our own needs, but our city, our country and our world. And I was particularly reminded this week as I went to a lunch uh, with Compassion Uh, of just how encouraging again it is, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, at the number of uh, households here supporting children through compassion. And I had the great privilege, which I want to share with you a little bit, I'll just range off notes for a moment, of actually um, uh, sitting and having lunch with a guy named Jani uh, from uh, northern India. Now, Johnny grew up in a slum, quite a small slum for Indian standards, about 10,000 people. They had two toilets, no school, uh, no access to medical care. Uh, The place was largely an open sewer which flooded a lot and there were people dying of very easily preventable diseases all the time. 
And because no one was literate, they couldn't write, they couldn't get access to things, it limited the amount of jobs they can do. So mum and dad basically used to just head out at the start of the day. If they found some work, they would eat that night. If they didn't, they wouldn't. And it was just painted a great picture of just how crushing and trapping poverty is. But a group of Indians from southern India thought we really need to reach this uh, slum. So they planted a church there and partnered with Compassion so that they could provide uh, sponsorship for about 400 kids. Now, there's a lot more than 400 kids uh, in the slum, as you can imagine, but that was what was enabled to be done by Compassion. So these kids got education, they got health care, and their whole families uh, got access to basic food supplies. And it was a wonderful story to hear of Jani, the only person sponsored in his family, who could actually came home and he essentially homeschooled his sister so that she could get a better job and he taught his parents how to write their own name, something that they'd never been able to do, which gave them access to uh, a different level of jobs which helped break them out of poverty. Compassion stayed with Jani through high school and actually supported him as he went to England and he got his MBA uh, in the UK and has then come back with his MBA skills uh, doing a microfinancing thing to uh, enable uh, the starting up of small businesses to help people break out of poverty. Just this amazing story of connection of how God had blessed uh, this entire slum through everyone who supported uh, these 400 kids, uh, but also particularly through Jani, uh, who had gone and then come back and worked with his uh, new wife and running an outreach centre for street kids and things like that. One couple in the USA supporting Jani through Compassion were involved in God's economy in doing all that. Anyway, I've gone way off my notes and I should get back to them now, but I wanted to encourage you and say, well done for supporting gospel ministry in all sorts of ways. And as we head forward into the rest of the year, I think next, fish to fry for us, uh, is to help and play our part in raising up the next generation of financial supporters for a whole host of people coming through CMS uh, at the moment, some really great quality candidates looking to head out on long-term gospel mission. We'll be going big on this uh, second half of the year, but what a joy. And I should say at this point, we don't have a financial line in any of uh, our church finances for any of our uh, supporter organisations. And that's actually not because we're tight. It's just that we think a direct connection could actually provide two, three, four, five times as much uh, financial support. So if this is a, a point that you think, oh, okay, uh, I really do need to do something, do take... Um, those flyers for N and R today and make that your first step into supporting gospel ministry as every spirit-filled Christian should. I really do need to go faster now, so point three. Uh, those in step with the Spirit have a great investment strategy for the future. Investment strategy is the missing words there at point three. It's this whole idea of repenting of sin and pursuing righteousness together that's really at this heart of the passage that the spirit-filled community takes seriously. This is picture of kind of almost two fields, one planting to the flesh, one planting to the spirit. And it shows us that sowing to sin always brings destruction. If you sow weeds in your garden, you know that you're not going to look out one day and actually accidentally see a, a great fig tree with ripe figs on it. A clever illustration by Paul, and I've called it an investment strategy for the future, 
Because I think that idea of sowing for the Spirit is much like investing well. It's better to think of it as small investments each day rather than the big thing that you never get to. It's the little choices each day that actually add up to something great for us in the future when it comes to holiness as well as finances, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> but due to time, I, um, I read a great quote this week from John Stott and I thought if I try and put it in my own words, it'll just be way less good. So I'll read to you a great quote here on sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. To sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cause it, to cuddle and stroke it, instead of crucifying it like we were told chapter 5 last week. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbour a grudge, nurse a grievance or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Each time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we watch pornography, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest, whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. To sow to the Spirit is the same as to set the mind on the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. Again, the seeds we sow are thoughts and deeds. We are to seek and to set our minds on the things of God, things that are above, not things that are on earth. By the books we read, the company we keep, the leisure occupations we pursue, we can be sowing to the Spirit. We can foster disciplined habits of devotion in private and in public, and in daily prayer and Bible reading, in the worship with the Lord's people on the Lord's Day. All this is sowing to the Spirit and without it there can be no harvest of the Spirit, no fruit of the Spirit. I think that brings out nicely that sowing to the Spirit day by day in little ways is a great investment strategy for the future. And finally, point four, those in step with the Spirit also have a great goal for today. Goal's the missing word. Those in step with the Spirit have a great goal for today. Each day, let us spur one another on by focusing when we're joyous, to be persistent when we're suffering by remembering these words from Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." Now, a lot of people have questions on that do good to all, especially those to the family of believers. Here's my take on it. I think our mission to share the good news of Jesus is directly linked with the quality of our life together as a local church. As the gospel is preached, we have a right assessment of ourselves, therefore other believers, as our faith expresses itself in love, we show grace to each other because God has shown grace to us. So we bear each other's burdens out of love, we help restore each other as we find ourselves caught up in sin, not looking down on each other, but graciously walking side by side together as we follow Jesus. We support gospel ministry together because we want other people to be blessed like us. Think church planning, sending out missionaries. We increasingly 
say no to sin and are instead so to the Spirit, making those little decisions each day. We increasingly are blessed by our obedience to God and we seek to continue to do good, knowing that we'll reap a great harvest personally and together as God's church. As we do all of that, we're actually really creating communities that our world desperately needs and wants, that can actually deal with the brokenness of our lives and our world without just having to gloss over our flaws or take some overly optimistic view of things. A church family that is still broken, of course, in a broken world for now, yet it's beautiful in its brokenness because the Spirit of God is at work putting us back together bit by bit as a community, creating just a glimpse, a foretaste of heaven. When it's done well, I think it has a powerful effect on our gospel witness. As I was thinking about how this plays out for us this week and uh, talking to a few of you, it really struck me that particularly of the people that I know uh, well kind of through the week, and I'll just use an example here of uh, those in our school community because I see them a lot. Uh, I suspect there's something that's true of us all here, but it will just uh, run with the school community example that I realise not all of you are a part of. But those of you who I know in our school community are well respected and loved in that community because I see you investing in others and being there for other people. As you live by the Spirit, people watch how that affects your business ethics, your friendships, how you run your household... And I think it's actually no mistake that a bit over 10% of our school now comes either to here or to our church plant at Unley because they see us doing life together in a way that is different from how our world does it. Many of those who don't follow Jesus yet want to have you at their social events. They want your kids to be friends with their kids. They want you, they're often, as I was chatting to some people, that often have many of you in their homes a lot looking for advice in life. So my suggestion for the week is to think how intentionally and prayerfully you might connect the dots for people, to say to people who don't know Jesus, we love you guys and we know you love us. But part of us loving you is wanting to share with you what really makes life work. And we think life to the full can only be found in Jesus. Have you ever thought about reading an account of his life? We could do it together. And I reckon after reading just an account of uh, John's Gospel, or even just getting a few chapters in, I think we could help people see why we love Jesus and why we love coming together as part of a church community. Part of the reason I was uh, talking to some people this week is that we're taking our uh, word one-to-one Bible reading around our community groups. So if you missed it or you're not in a community group, we'll publish all the groups that are happening over terms two and three. So you might come along and be equipped if you don't feel equipped to read the scriptures with others in a really easy, straightforward, non-clunky kind of way. But I reckon after people grasp some of the gospel, they can see why we love our church family. Of course, why we love Jesus, first and foremost, but why we actually love being part of a community together. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not the perfect church. There's lots of things we want to keep growing in. 
But I love our church community and I know a lot of our church community love us and our household as well. Now I've used an example of some people I see most days every week. But I would wager that all of you who are living by the Spirit, regardless of where you send your kids to school, if you have kids, whether you're single, married, young, old, you would be considered and well-respected in your communities. You'll actually be light to those communities. Remind yourself, everybody needs Jesus. The quality of our life together is a great blessing to us. It's good to be a part of, it's good to invest in but it's also good to invest in for the sake of the communities that we're inviting people to, to live out the spirit-filled life together. Everyone who finds Jesus needs to be welcomed into a great community of believers where God's spirit is powerfully at work. Now, we've covered a bit of ground today. It's hard at this point to apply the many truths that we've looked at accurately into your lives and your hearts because we're all at different stages with different struggles. So let me shoot broadly and I'd ask you to pray and reflect on where God might want you to uh, grow into next. So perhaps you need the gospel to strip away your conceit. Perhaps it's the opposite and you actually need God's help to see that you are deeply valuable to God both needing to have a right assessment of self so that we can have a right assessment of others. Perhaps you're aware that you've been doing the Christian life a little bit solo or just as a couple or a household together and you need to take the step to invest in the lives of others and let them into yours so that you can bear burdens together, so that you can help each other repent of sin. Now, I realise that point Uh, will touch potentially a sore point for some of you. Some people are naturally extroverted and naturally uh, great at connecting with lots of different people. For others of us, probably for the majority, it's much more of a struggle, particularly if you're introverted. And I also think there's a general thing going on in society that it's really hard for everyone, you know, particularly once you get past those sort of 20s years, to actually make new friends in life, people who um, can walk with you as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I can't provide a comprehensive plan on exactly how this might look for you, but do take a step to invest in the lives of others so that others can invest in yours. It might be catching up to read the Bible or inviting people over for a meal, joining a community group, whatever it might be. But this is super important. It's something put upon us all And as we do so, we fulfill the law of Christ. Perhaps you might need to take more seriously having a right attitude to funding gospel ministry. If that's you, why not make a start today uh, to fund our CMS Global Workers N&R? Because as you've heard, they've been there creating communities overseas where kids and youth and young people can come and see God's Spirit at work. It should be at the heart of every Spirit-filled believer to support in some way. But one thing I can confidently say to all of us is that we probably just need encouragement too to keep pressing on, to keep doing good for today as long as it is called today to all people and especially those who are in your church family. You will reap a harvest. God keeps his promises 
it's a great thing to sow to the Spirit together. You will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in Galatians. We thank you, of course, for the great announcement that it is of the great news of the gospel of Jesus that anyone can come and be freed from the curse of disobedience to your good and holy law by Christ actually becoming a curse for us and bearing that curse to the cross. We thank you that Jesus died Uh, to save us from that curse, but also, as we've reflected this morning, so that we might be saved into communities where we might bear each other's burdens and repent of sin, so that increasingly so, we might be freed of the ravages of sin in this world and in this life. Pray particularly for those with sensitive consciences on that this morning, that uh, they might take the bold step of perhaps sharing just with one other person their struggles. And that we might be a community that has a right attitude to ourselves and a right attitude to others so that we might deal graciously and lovingly with one another. And in doing so, that we might fulfill the law of Christ by his spirit at work in us. We thank you for our partnership in the gospel together with our time and our finances. We pray that you would uh, take this offering and use it greatly for your glory but also that you would keep encouraging us and growing in us hearts that actually love to be generous uh, because it's an outworking of the Spirit in us. And we pray particularly for the many uh, households at the moment at different steps in investigating with CMS to head overseas to share the gospel and create these communities elsewhere and support their creation, that they too might find themselves fully funded and supported by your church as a great work of your spirit at work in us. And we pray particularly, Lord, uh, for each one of us uh, who, um, yeah, there's, I think, something confronting for each of us in today's sermon. Please encourage us by your spirit not to give up, to have a great goal for today, to keep doing good to all people and especially those in the household of faith. Uh, For our blessing, for the sake of the gospel, but ultimately for your glory. So we pray these things in Jesus' precious and very powerful name. Amen.